iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we talk about Real Madrid winning the Champions League. Of course we do for a record 14th time. But can Liverpool bounce back under Jurgen Klopp, even if it means they do it without Sadio Mane? We'll also talk about events off the pitch in Paris and the reaction from the French authorities and from Liverpool themselves. And of course we'll be talking about events at Wembley as Nottingham Forest return to the Premier League for the first time in 23 years. This is the game. Hello again, welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Tom Roddy and Alison Rudd. After a huge weekend of finals, we have to begin in Paris, where Real Madrid won the Champions League for a record 14th time to Liverpool's bitter disappointment after a 1-0 victory. Vinicius Jr. scoring the only goal of the game in the second half. And it meant Madrid won the trophy in much the same way they had, had got past Paris Saint-Germain and Chelsea and Manchester City in the knockout stage. Ages, making the absolute most of their minimal opportunities. Liverpool having 24 shots, nine on target. Real Madrid, four shots, just two on target as an impenetrable force. Thibaut Courtois was probably the difference on the night and we will get to him and putting some respect on his name a little bit later on. But first, let's reflect on the game. Alison, I've got to start with you. Obviously, you were there in Paris it's emotional going to a game of that magnitude anyway and joining up with all the fans of your team in another country. And we're going to get to the experience that the fans had outside the ground as well. But I think we need to start with the the game itself. I find it extremely hard to fault Liverpool. You know, you want to come after a big final and a team's lost and a team that was maybe just the favourites has lost and say, what went wrong? And afterwards, it didn't feel, it maybe did for you as a Liverpool fan, but it didn't feel for me that Liverpool had done much wrong. I was uh, halfway through the first half, a Liverpool fan came over to me, dug me in the ribs and said, bang average this lot. And that's how it felt. Why weren't we storming to victory? They were bang average, except they weren't really, were they? They were very cunning and clever. I know we're going to come later to what happened outside the ground, but what it meant was that inside the ground... There was a mood. It was low key. Uh, Liverpool fans were not into it. They were, they were angry, so they weren't giving it all. And I think the players, partly because of the late kickoff, partly they could tell there was something wrong. They were, they were, they were slightly nervous, not quite at it. And I felt that Real Madrid sucked into that vibe and felt they could metronomically control it even when it looked like they weren't controlling it so the brief periods of um, possession that Real Madrid had were really quite special you know very accurate clever passing I felt the goal was to the centimetre perfect I wouldn't blame 
Alexander Arnold for it at all. I just felt it was, you know, if sometimes something is inch perfect, it's inch perfect. And he was an inch on side as far as I could tell. And then they just were happy to only counter. And, you know, you look at the brilliant saves made, a tiny bit of luck going Liverpool's way. I did, I did feel, even with the history of Real Madrid in the competition and the amazing fight backs they've had, I did feel if Liverpool had equalised, they would have gone on to win. Because that would have changed the whole mood. I think the fans would have remembered that they were there partly to support the team, not just have, not just, you know, I mean, it, they, they were angry. They would have sort of forgotten that briefly, that the stadium would have come come alive and there would have been that wave of, we are the better team, we can do this. Um, but you say there's not a lot you can fault about Liverpool. I, 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 I felt they looked 5% jaded. I thought some players looked nervous. I thought um, Alexander-Arnold did look nervous and played slightly nervously. There was a there was a strange atmosphere, and I although Liverpool didn't play badly at all, it was throughout that I had this sense that there was a there was another gear they should have gone into and couldn't could not get into, partly because of the atmosphere and partly because um, I felt Real Madrid's organisation, their low block of defence, their patience. I mean, my God, they're so patient. They just don't mind, do they? That they as long as they're absorbing it, they don't mind. And it was, ah, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, Liverpool could have could have played better, actually. Can you fault Liverpool, Tom? I, I agree with Alison about the the just five percent, perhaps. Um, I was uh, I wasn't in Paris. Uh, I was racing back home to to get in there in time for kickoff to Same. watch it on the television. <laughs> and of course, you get in, switch on the on the on the box, and think, why is it not? started and when I saw when I heard about the delay to kick off I thought oh that's I think that benefits Real Madrid because all leading into the game I don't think Madrid felt any pressure they were going for a 14th European title most of those players had been there and done it of course Liverpool had yeah but having spent a season in which everyone around them is talking about the quadruple there felt like there was more pressure on Liverpool in this game and having lost to Real Madrid in the 2018 final it just felt like heading into the match there was always going to be more pressure on them and there wasn't it felt watching from afar it felt like there wasn't the the atmosphere that you you perhaps expected but Madrid I suppose the key was that Madrid weathered the storm didn't they they and it wasn't the the it wasn't a storm that raged, but they weathered it um, and got through it. And there were there were loads of key players. I, I actually thought Casemiro was incredible in that in that second half. Once they got the goal, of course, Courtois got gets all the credit and rightly so. But I thought Casemiro was was amazing. And there's there's a there's a really really good piece in the Times today by James Gearbrand and. Hamza Khalid Klunat and it breaks down the game in, in detail and there's there's a lot of stats in there which um, I'm not to be honest I'm not a huge lover of stats but this is really fascinating in, in really good detail and especially the goal as well it's really interesting the goal because at first I saw it as that was the key battle of the game was Vinicius v Trent and 
Trent has lost it. We knew going into the game that it was those two and Trent has lost it essentially. But actually for that moment, Trent is, his body, his shape is right. And in normal circumstances, you're going to get, Valverde's going to either either shoot at goal and get a shot on target or he's going to cross the ball. And if he crosses the ball, there's going to be less power on it and Trent is going to be able to clear it. But because it's a shot, because of the trajectory and the power on it, it reaches Vinicius and escapes Trent. And it's just, it was such a fine margin. It was, it was. Although the the ex-players and the pundits were saying, you know, you never let the attacker see your number. That's the number one rule. I don't know if it was bad defending. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was particularly bad defending or whether it was just one of those moments. I think you you have an expectation the player's either going to hit the target or um, it's going to be a cross. You're, you're absolutely right. And it was sort of a cross shot that ended up with Vinicius tapping it in. Even though there was the, the usual, um, there was a bit of the... Uh, Trent creativity he wasn't in that usual position that we see him in I, I felt like that got in his in his brain a little bit before the game that it was him against Vinicius that they're, they're constant question marks over how good I am at defending whether I can defend against these top players he defended well though oh no no, no I'm not saying he didn't I thought he was great but, it but, did but I'm saying it was in his mind yeah abilities. and of course that that is a key area for the way the team operates isn't it yeah but I also thought he, he was one of the players affected by the late start mm. you know if you start off a little bit nervous a little bit of nerves is good but too many is not good and there were just there was time after time when you could see what he was going to do trying to do it didn't quite come off you know, the cross was too short or too deep or just not quite his normal high level of play, really. And it's a shame. It seems to be all focused on him because of who scored. And as you say, because the build it was all about Vinicius is a danger man who's going to stop him. Well, very Liverpool are very lucky that they've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. This is his moment to shine. There was a lot of pressure on him. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Virgil van Dijk's Swan Lake uh, as well for that goal wasn't exactly what you want from your £75 million centre-back. Uh, the, the, my Liverpool mates were saying they don't think he's fit, van Dijk. They don't think he's been fit for weeks. You know, not you know massively unfit but sort of 10% away from maybe where he should be and looking a little bit tired but and he's sort of admitted that you know it's very strange he has said it's been really hard coming back from a serious injury and everyone expecting you to be exactly the same and you can't be and I'm not you know this this takes time and I think people have said, no, 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 they've put their fingers in their ears and gone, no, 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 you're Virgil van Dijk, it's fine. But I don't think he's exactly the same as he no. was before he ruptured his ACL. No, but it was one of those things where people said, as soon as van Dijk comes back, Liverpool will be winning games again, and they were. And so it suggested that van Dijk was the same, you know, not looking at the individual performances, just his impact on the team. Um, I don't know if he'll get back to where he was, you know, because that injury may affect him from here on out he's not 21 years old we don't know if he'll move the same or feel the same mentally he's still pretty much the best centre-back in the world it's just whether he is as good as the best centre-back in the world of a couple of seasons ago which he was um, but I wouldn't blame him either for this this is what I mean I just can't fault Liverpool there was a point in time where my partner was saying to me you know why do you care so much about Liverpool scoring a goal because I was literally on the edge of my seats for the last 15 minutes trying to wheel the ball in the back of the net and I said, because if they score, they will win. You don't get it. It's basically what I said to her. I know Real Madrid are winning 1-0, but if Liverpool score, they will win. Exactly, that was exactly right. Yeah. It, did, it did feel like that. Um, 
it, it felt like Courtois was on another planet, but that if that goal went in, it felt like Real Madrid were, you know, it wasn't that the, the individual players were playing on another level throughout this world or even dominating the game, but it did feel like it was sort of, um, you know, it was the challenger to, you know, the the king of the kingdom, if you know what I mean. It was like, well, I've, I've ruled the roost for so long. You're the challenger. Come on then. But you felt that if Liverpool had got on, on terms, then almost the younger, more sprightly new king of the kingdom, the prince, was going to take over. Like, it just felt like something more would come, but it never came. The goal never came. And it was all because of Courtois, to be perfectly honest. And this is why, again, I just don't fault Liverpool. I don't think, I mean, look, people say Courtois was unbelievable and he's made more saves than any other goalkeeper has in a Champions League final um, since records began, which was only, I think, 2004. But... For me, that is uh, underlines the dominance of Liverpool. Like I said, they had 24 shots, nine on target. In the first half, you know, I'd predicted, I think, that, that Liverpool would win comfortably. And I was watching it. I was like, oh, they are going to win comfortably. As soon as this goal... For the ball went in the back of the net in the first half, I really felt one would have become two, would have become three. Like, um, Real Madrid may have crumbled. But the longer they went on in the game level, having been dominated, the more you felt like oh my word, they're going to do it. It's just like the, the second round match. It's just like the quarterfinal. It's just like the semifinal. They're going to get dominated and they're going to win. And my phone was flooding in with messages. Suddenly everyone had changed their prediction to Real Madrid 1-0. They're going to do it at halftime, you know, because because they'd seen something that was, for me, down to the level of experience. I mean, for me, that was the major difference. Not that there are inexperienced players at Liverpool, but that there are players that had won so many. And bear in mind how they did it. I think people forget that as well because they've won so many. I mean, virtually all of them were comeback victories except the one against Liverpool. They they, they had to go against Atletico Madrid in extra time and they scored a last-minute goal uh, to, to get there as well. So uh, some of these Champions Leagues that they've won, four of the five for many of that squad, had been done in a sort of smash and grab way. So, so I, I also think the longer it went on at nil nil, they were like, we're going to steal this. It doesn't matter if they're dominating us. We're going to nick this. We're going to have our moment. We're going to score. And once they did score, that that was it. I just thought they were going to, you know, sit back and try and absorb it. And but they, isn't and they there did. something? Isn't there something very special about a team that everything you just said is true? But the moment they get possession and the chance to counter, they do it with in such intelligence and precision. And it's as though they knew it was coming, they had it all plotted and planned, and they're very calm about it. It's just, it's quite scary how perfect that counter was. Right from Modric, dropping deeper, his vision's incredible. But he doesn't mind that he can be out of the game for a lot of it. He just knows when he has the opportunity, mm. he will do something that cuts the team open. Yeah, they're very efficient, aren't they, in that mm. way? They just have such quality in, in the right areas. I don't know whether they are really a, a completely a counter-attacking side, but that is what's at the heart of them. But just going back to what you were saying about the, you know, the about Courtois, there are, there are real fine margins that we were, that's what decided the game in the end, the, the Vinicius goal. And I wondered whether the thing Liverpool have improved over the last few years is from set pieces. They're, they're, such, a, they're such a great attacking side, but you know, adding Canate to that side has, has made them so much more dangerous from set pieces. I was quite disappointed with the delivery for the yeah. final uh, quite, on quite a few occasions, but when it was right, Courtois was always there. He's, he's, he, 
the focus on him was because of the saves from Salah, from Mane. But the way he dominates a box and doesn't allow anything to come in was really impressive as well. No, absolutely. Because my my seat was quite high up. And um, so, so even then, even though I had quite a good aerial view, a ball would come in and you'd see, you'd see, you know, the Liverpool players you'd think might get on the end of it. And you'd see them and think, oh, this is this is promising. And then suddenly, like it's some sort of magic show, these these hands would appear and he'd leap up and grab it with elegance. But it, you wouldn't see him till the last second. You only saw the attackers and then and then he appeared like it's sort of synchronized swimming or something. <laughs> he just but he's under the waves and then whoosh up he comes and grabs it. And it, his positioning must be phenomenal to do it with that. There's no punching wildly. No. No fall, you know. It's just it does it with elegance. It's, it's, I think it's his timing mm. from set pieces is phenomenal. It was really strange to hear his interviews afterwards. To be perfectly honest, I mean, look, I, and beforehand, Tebow, yeah. Which which comment? Beforehand, he was saying he was asked which of the three crucial Real Madrid players to get you to the final with all these fantastic matches you've got. And he said, well, I'm me, me. <laughs> he was at it before the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look, before we come to his goalkeeping, oh, I guess this plays a part. I don't know what you think about it. Three finals this season for Liverpool. They didn't score in any of them. The, the first two went to extra time, obviously. They won them on penalties. They didn't score again. Is there an issue in that forward line at this point in time? Uh, I don't... I. Uh, definitely didn't blame, don't blame them for the FA Cup and the League Cup final um, I don't think there was any issues there they were fantastic games with fantastic opportunities but they didn't score no they didn't it's no. sort of the point but yeah yeah it is the point <laughs> <laughs> that is the point of the game yeah. um, but I, I don't um, I don't remember any clear I, th- I think out of those two games Chelsea had more opportunities that they should have taken um, uh, there was possibly great saves that um, stopped Liverpool in those games whereas I thought they were just slightly off it in this final no the re- the, re- the reason is is those the three finals have come when um, Mo Salah's had a, a dip in form post his international duty he's played well and he's still a star act but he's not he's not got that He's just not got it. And when he's got it, Liverpool score. Okay, that's the difference. I think that's the difference. And Thibaut Courtois, who was spectacular, who asked us all to put some respect on his name afterwards, especially you guys at 442. <laughs> what were you thinking not having him in your top 10? Oh, but you know why it is? Honestly, there are so many fantastic goalkeepers compared to 20 years ago. The world is awash with fantastic goalkeepers. I think it's also it, may, it might be to do with the fact that when you think of goalkeepers now, it's the Allisons and the. And, oh, I'm going to do that thing where you don't pluralise. Don't yeah, pluralise. S on the end of their name. Oh, sorry. Only, Rewind. There are only there are only two Allisons. Yes. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the Robbies of this world. Yeah. Um, Allison mm. and Edison, those types of goalkeepers who are great goalkeepers, but also in this era of um, Guardiola and Klopp, they're good at playing, uh, you know, they could play in midfield. They're great at playing out from the back. Cotoir is never put in that category. And I wonder whether that's got to him a little bit. 
The irony is I, I remember him doing a Cruyff turn on Kai Havertz at the Bernabeu in the, what was that, the round of 16 or the quarterfinal. So he, he, maybe he can, but he doesn't tend to get put in those categories too much. But this has been, this has been building for a while. Before those games, before that round against Chelsea, he was, he was, Biting, he was teasing this idea of the respect he's got because he said, "If you, and it, and it's focused towards uh, the UK because yeah. he said, if you ask a Spanish journalist, they'd probably say I'm one of the best. If you ask an English journalist, they wouldn't. But I know I'm the best. Um, it's been building for a little while. It's odd." I mean, I, I don't think anyone in England had any particularly strong feelings about Thibaut Courtois either way. I mean, if that is what he's alluding to, why don't you love me more? Then, then fair enough. But I think everyone thinks he's a pretty good goalkeeper and always has. Am I wrong on that? I, I think maybe the Chelsea fans are a little bit put off by him, desperately trying to leave the club to join Real Madrid on a couple of occasions before he eventually did. But I mean, generally speaking, I think most people thought he was a pretty good goalkeeper when he was in England and is an excellent goalkeeper now he's at Real Madrid. Unless I'm just rolling in the wrong circles. I, I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, maybe he was... And this is the thing that I thought was possibly sad because I felt like he was almost responding to the trolls. Like I didn't, uh, there was a bit that it was definitely about the media and journalists and then also a bit about, I think, fans making comments about him online. Like, that's what it felt like. Stop doom scrolling, Tebow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> listen, Tebow, stay off Twitter, mate. I mean, because I just, I just, I found it sad. Like, it's your moment. You're a goal, it's rare, obviously, a goalkeeper. You are player of the match in a Champions League final. I mean, it should just be positives, right? It shouldn't be like, there you go. Put some respect on my name. I've showed you all because like, who was your career about? The journalists or the people online? Or was it about your friends and your family and the, or maybe, the teammates? Or maybe he's just been advised, you know, by his people that, Look, look at the way people talk about Real Madrid. It's all about Benzema. It's all, you know, it's all about Modric. It's all about Cruz. It's all about these amazing players. And you're, you're one of these. Come on, remind people that you are part of this amazing cabal of players. And you just felt, yeah, you're right. You know, they'd ever talk about me. Yeah, but, but as you said, Hugh, he didn't actually. He didn't. This was a game where he didn't need to. All of the, um, apart from the, the fact the story was really outside the ground. The headlines on the game were all about him. He was the key player. He didn't need to say that after the game at all. That this was probably the biggest game he's had at Real Madrid to to put him on the bracket of Benzema. Let's talk about respect when it comes to Carlo Ancelotti. He's won the Champions League now on four occasions to add to his five league titles in his career. I mean, it's quite an achievement to win four Champions Leagues. I watched this game, this Real Madrid team, and it it reminded me so much of the Chelsea team that won uh, the Champions League in 2012. I actually watched that game and thought Carlo Ancelotti could be on the sofa with me probably would have been the same result his main job tonight and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful was to do the time wasting subs at the end genuinely because I, I it, it, it felt admin Angelotti do you know what I mean though it felt like a team that could coach itself like that Chelsea team with Drogba and Lampard and Terry and Czech as the spine of the team and Ashley Cole and the experience that they had 
you know, with Roberto Di Matteo as manager, you, you felt like, and I, I know people, you know, like to be disrespectful to Di Matteo in that way that I'm about to by saying <laughs> that it felt like a team that could coach itself. But you felt like they would know what to do. If there was no one in the dugout, that team would, would have known what to do at those points in that big game. And that's what this Real Madrid team felt like. It felt like if no one was telling them what to do, if no one was giving them any direction, don't they, they still would have done the same thing like because they know the game inside out now. They pretty much coach themselves particularly when it comes to the temperament and managing the big occasion and those key moments of the game. You don't need to tell them what to do. Tony you Cruz are, you and know Luka what Modric, you're describing. You, you are describing what happens when um, chefs win Michelin stars and then they put their name on several top restaurants, but they never turn up to cook because they've done all the hard work. They've made sure they've put in place all the chefs and sous chefs and people they need. And then they, they, just, they just go off to the theatre because they've, they've done, he's done all the hard work. He's built the sides he's gone into. He's, he said, this is what you do. And then it allows him to sit back and watch it. He's, a, he's actually actively, he's one of the few managers who encourages the view that I, I listen to the team now. I've, put, I've done all I can do. I'll listen to them. He doesn't. He, he seems to have no ego in that sense at all. He doesn't need to prove himself mm. because he's he's won his football equivalent of the Michelin star, and he can sit back and watch everything he's put into place come to fruition. But there was a point, wasn't there, in one of the knockout games where he had a conversation with Marcelo, and I can't remember who the other. There was another senior player on the bench, and they basically he basically you could see the three of them saying, "What should we do here?" And the players were saying to him, I think we should do this and that. And he sort of said, all right, then, yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. I don't even know if he went and made those changes or anything like that. But the He's, fact but that, he said he did, the, and that's the point. Yeah, the fact that in-game he was open to listening to players, taking on board what they had to say and just... You know, I, I, I give him more respect for that. This is not me saying he's a bad manager. He's clearly a brilliant manager. But that's, and what, that's and what all better part of way it. to make sure your bench is happy if they know they're going to be that involved? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, that was uh, my takeaway from that was that he's he's just got this really light touch to management, hasn't he? Mm. And I think he just gets everyone. Everyone is engaged. Everyone's involved in what's happening. And that was exactly what I thought. Did he actually? Did he actually do? what they'd suggested or was it just everyone Marcelo you know crying on the touchline the other day because he feels totally involved in it yeah I'm not a fan of nepotism though so all the zoom ins on his son Davide on the bench and how it's a father son connection stuff drop me out alright I'm not interested <laughs> Carlo frankly <laughs> Listen, let's talk about the other manager, Jurgen Klopp and his team. Jurgen Klopp smiles at the parade yesterday. I think that was good to lift the players um, and all of the staff after the disappointment of the final. He's promised that Liverpool will continue at this level. They will be there in the big games next season, he says. But they could be without Sadio Mane, who from reports has indicated he will... Uh, be leaving the club Mo Salah's comments we spoke about already the indication there is um, if I don't get the deal that I want this is my final year and I'll leave on a free next summer um, ca can they continue at the same level do you think Alisson without Mane this year possibly without Salah in a, in a year uh, well, it's fine if they don't both go at exactly the same time I think because they're already building towards that eventuality um who you know, if you'd had Diaz, Jota, Firmino as the front three, you, you could make an argument that might have worked better because that, that's a better balanced front three in terms of formation. There's always a bit of, oh, how do we fit, fit 
how do we fit Marna and Salah and Diaz in together? And I think they're the Salah. I mean, Salah and Mane are the more fated, cleverer players. But sometimes it isn't about that. It's about how it all dovetails. So it wouldn't be an absolute disaster. I would rather they didn't go at the same time, however. And you know that they're clearly not stupid at Liverpool. It's not just Klopp. It's the whole the whole organisation there. This isn't a surprise to them. They know this moment's coming, so they are. They are. Uh, they've got the academy very well run. They've got the monitoring players all, all over the place on how they fit in. I mean, we've we've got proof that they 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 recruit incredibly well to fit fit the system, fit you know Klopp's personality and what he demands of players. So I'm not I'm not particularly worried. Um, and also because Liverpool have done very well under Klopp there'll there'll be a lot of players thinking I want to be part of that well I think we used to say oh all those players you know they're not going to Man City for the money they're going because they know they'll be made better by Pep Guardiola I think now players are thinking actually I want a part of what Klopp does he does stuff and I want to have that in my life I want to know what it's like to be part of his team he's he's built culture of this this probably going to mean that this goes to the final day of this transfer window and then Salah and Mane leave but he's bu- <laughs> he's built a culture I think where um of of loyalty not in necessarily in the way that all of those players will retire at Liverpool but I think where they will be clear immediately what's going to happen early in the summer so that the club can m- move on you know we we're seeing that unfolding now with Mane and the the clever thing about Klopp one of the many clever things is that we are seeing an evolution in front of our eyes because of the fact Diaz came in in January and hit the ground running but um, and Canate before but not only that you've got Cavallio coming in um, and Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones are, are their careers are crystallising now. They've been brought in and they've made their appearances in the Cups and they've been integrated into that squad without people who watch Liverpool week in, week out really realising. But they'll be a strong part of that squad going forward and I think very soon as well. That's the future for Liverpool. Let's get to events uh, outside the ground in Paris on Saturday because they weren't what we wanted at all. Uh, Liverpool fans being tear gas, pepper sprayed as well as kickoff was delayed, as you mentioned, by 35 minutes after the game. Fans genuinely fearing for their safety uh, due to attacks. Uh, Liverpool calling for an investigation. The French sports minister uh, said that attempts at intrusion and fraud by thousands of English supporters had complicated the work of the stadium staff and police. UEFA, European football's governing body, of course, appeared to blame British supporters, saying in the lead-up to the game, the turnstiles at the Liverpool end became blocked by thousands of fans who'd purchased fake tickets and did not work in the turnstiles. Liverpool said UEFA's version of events was totally inaccurate. They said in a statement, we're hugely disappointed at the stadium entry issues and breakdown of the security perimeter that Liverpool fans faced this evening at the Stade de France. 
This is the greatest match in European football and supporters should not have to experience the scenes we have witnessed tonight. We have officially requested a formal investigation into the causes of these unacceptable issues. A Merseyside police spokesperson said on Twitter, Merpol was deployed to this evening's match. Can only describe it as the worst European match I've ever worked or experienced. I thought the behaviour of the fans at the turnstiles was exemplary in shocking circumstances. Players speaking afterwards as well. Andy Robertson saying his club issued tickets given to a friend were dismissed as being fake. Joel Matip's brother and his pregnant sister-in-law were reportedly forced to flee as well. It was ridiculous, to be perfectly honest, but I wasn't there. Alison, you were. Did you see any of it? Were you in the ground already? No, it was an absolute joke. I mean, that... I mean, UEFA take responsibility. It's their, it's their event, and they should be on top of how it's organised, policed, stewarded, etc. Emmanuel Macron was thanked by UEFA for stepping up and saying, "We'll take the final because of sanctions towards Russia and the final being moved from Saint Petersburg." And it, honestly, it felt like they thought, "Oh, thank goodness for that. We've got a stadium, and that just let them get on with it." There was. It, 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 I, I cannot believe they've ever held anything there before or there are plans to hold Olympic events there in 2024. It's the most appalling stadium I've been to in a long, long time. There is not a single sign or steward or any help at all when you arrive telling you where how to get in. So I arrive with a group of fans and we're like, well, well how do you get in? And there was a horrible, horrible there's this underpass and it was absolutely heaving and looked quite scary but it was also quite small so we thought we can't be that so we sort of do do a walk around the stadium can't see nothing nothing there's nothing and then you realize god it must have been that underpass where you go in really that's the only way in so you get there and you realize it's it's there's a bottleneck because there's about i don't know four or five stewards four or five stewards trying to check everyone's ticket in random different ways so you know some people got a flash on their phone saying tick what you know green tick you've got a ticket some had paper tickets and were waving them and they were randomly being told to go away or or loud in it, i mean it, how, how how at a major global event that's how you let people in in the first place you just absolutely astonishing then you get in and there's all the gates are locked so where'd you go you know where'd you go and you find where you think you should go more people are leaving and that makes you feel uh, um that makes you feel slightly distressed when more people are walking away than going in what's go what's going on people are being people either too scared to keep going or they're being turned away as you say because they've been told their ticket's fake or their ticket is fake or they didn't know it was fake and it's fake i mean there are lots of different stories about what happened with the tickets the ticketing itself is a joke I mean why you have some people with paper tickets some people were waving paper in the air and being allowed in and some people had what's supposed to be the more secure electronic ticket and not being allowed in Duh, go figure I saw people with what looked like homemade QR codes not Liverpool fans I have to I mean, they were not speaking English um, and their tactic was I've got a code if I argue loudly enough and stop people coming in, you're going to let me in eventually, aren't you? And that's what happened. Because they weren't trained properly. They didn't know how to do it. It was... Um, one fan told me he was taking his wife to his, her first ever game and they couldn't get in. And so they tried another gate 
he managed to argue his way in and she was sobbing because she was so scared. And a, couple, a, a pair of UEFA officials had been having a drink and they saw her crying and they came out to see if she was all right. It's like, you know, let's watch Rome burn while we all have caviar in the corner. It's, it was so random. And the idea that in, in the midst of all this, the police just think, oh, the English are here. Let's just let's just fire tear gas because we're just we just don't like them. The really the bad behaviour was locals. Um, there were gangs of youths who claimed to be PSG fans. I don't know if they are, but they turned up looking for fights, not actually looking for fights with um, Real Madrid or Liverpool fans, just looking for fights, preferably with the police. It was sort of like a sport that they do footage of people climbing over walls to get in. They were young locals. They weren't fans of either team. And it was just people were very distressed and upset. People people actually on the day, despite all the efforts to get there, chose not to go. I met a guy who was at Hillsborough and has always been affected by Hillsborough and has now said, that's it, he's never going to another final because it made him flashback and feel mm. he got gassed and missed a half the game and he was very upset and he, he, he didn't he, he didn't do anything wrong you know he turned up he turned up two and a half hours before kickoff yeah he, he didn't get in till halfway through and got tear gassed that is not the fans fault I thought it was one occasion where especially not being there it was one occasion of, of, of many where um, I thought social media was, was brilliant because you had a case where the French minister Gérald Darmanin was uh, from inside the stadium was reporting that thousands of British supporters without tickets or with counterfeit tickets had forced entry and assault, were assaulting stewards and was thanking the police forces. Um, from the clips we saw on the news outlets and on social media, that was entirely, well, it, it, it was largely false as Alison said there were people there with fake tickets but not not um, British supporters and the other thing I think Alison was right about the perspective of the police in seeing English supporters coming I, my suspicion is that they saw the events of last summer at Wembley in the Euro 2020 final and thought we can't we can't be so open to fans storming the stadium and and having an overcapacity, so they went in the entirely wrong direction of creating this tiny bottlenecked um, gateway to getting in. It was because the police fans were there, weren't they? In that passageway, is that right? The police, they they put these police vans along that meant that only two or three people could get through at a time um, and it's, it just wasn't the way to do it and of course it was what we saw was an aggressive response when it wasn't required at many times yeah no, it looked utterly ridiculous I remember going to the Euros in France and every single game was like a marathon walk to get to and they were told they told you two like sort of two miles out from the stadium is the first time your tickets would get checked and that's where most of the people with fake or counterfeit tickets would then be told you can't get through and they they literally set up electronic turnstiles and you could see the stadium in the distance and you were genuinely not looking forward to this walk in you know 30 degree sunshine in the summer in France 
you went through that checkpoint, then another, then another, before you got anywhere near the stadium. And so many people, especially journalists reporting this, um, on Saturday, it was nothing like other games that they'd been to, even in France, in terms of the organisation. It was shambolic. It clearly was not adequate, clearly not appropriate, clearly not the Liverpool fans' fault. You were on social media, I was listening to the radio, where there were just, you know, fans coming into the stadium who had been through it, were telling their stories, loads in tears, um, talking about the pepper spray. And, and, I mean, even the videos. You know, we had journalists reporting that they'd been stopped then by the French police and told to delete the videos mm. that they'd taken of people being basically indiscriminately tear-gassed. Mm. Um, sorry, pepper sprayed through a fence. They're on the other side of the fence, basically holding up their tickets. They're not doing anything violent. They're getting pepper sprayed. And it was like, well, I don't understand what you're, you're hoping to achieve by doing that. So it was a farce. And then, of course, compounded by how it was reported inside the stadium, how it's been spoken about by the French authorities, French politicians and UEFA, which and is just totally affected, false. And that affected the game. I know fan safety is of a higher priority than the match, but it, it had a knock-on effect. It affected the game because the fans weren't in. They heard the lies it meant they were just they just weren't into it it's kind of linked but was there was there any moment where there was a other than the end and the the goal where there was a good atmosphere no no it wasn't bad bad but it wasn't what it should have because been because of because yeah, of because yeah. there was this there was this people were sat next to the person they weren't meant to be sat next to because mm. they couldn't get in and because we've all got phones they you know, they knew they weren't in because they were sobbing in the corner or being taken to hospital or had a kid with them that was too scared to come in and that that permeates the area doesn't it everyone knows what's going on and then you hear that you're being blamed for that did you get out okay as well no, because there it was were horrible yeah there were as soon as they as soon as they um about 10 minutes before the end of the game the armed police came in front of liverpool fans not the madrid fans I thought, okay, they, they, they clearly still believe we're animals here because uh, I, I would regard it as polite to stay to applaud the winners and the runners-up, but I thought I'm not going to get caught in anything. I'll just leave straight away because I didn't have any... I was on my own in that sense, so I thought I can just. I don't have to worry about what my friends want to do or I didn't have a kid with me. I'll just, you know, dart out. So as soon as the final whistle went, I darted out all the gates are locked. It is quite scary. Mm. Why are the, the final whistle's gone? Why aren't the gates all, all open so everyone can leave safely? So there's a sort of sense of, there's always a sense of panic when you see locked gates. You mm. think, what's going to happen? You know, there's going to be people behind me in a minute and where do I go? I got lucky in a sense there was a half open gate. It wasn't even, why only half open the gate? I mean, you want it open or do you want it locked? Mm. So people saw it. So you're squeezing out through a, this ridiculous half open gate. And then there's a bad feeling. So you find yourself running with a crowd. And I was overtaken by people saying, oh, I've just got beaten up, be careful. Mm. Directed the wrong way, ended up near a canal in the pitch black because that's where the police officer told me that's where the station was. No, it wasn't. They just didn't care. Just, I know we knock the police in this country, but no one has ever, no police person, the police person has ever told me to go the wrong way. And then I just had to latch on to make sure I was with a group of people that looked safe and together we found the station and... I heard there were people tear gas behind me for no good reason other than they're trying to get out of a stadium with no gates open. I mean, what a joke. Mm. But I do want to know, I think it's cultural. I think the way the way 
English supporters, um, not just Liverpool supporters, I think the way English supporters treat a big match is, is different because the Real Madrid fans were all in place early, all choreographed. I mean, completely choreographed. It was mm. kind of spooky. And they didn't bother putting any police in front of them. There was no stories of Real Madrid fans having trouble getting in. I just wonder if they just accept their allocation, don't turn up in numbers hoping just to be get a ticket offered out. It, it, that's just a cultural thing. But that went for them, for their experience, was completely different to yeah. ours. I think there are some factors, um, but I do think Liverpool fans were profiled. Massively, not, I mean, maybe for being Liverpool fans, but more likely for being just English football fans. Yeah, Tom, I, I can see what you're saying about what happened at the Euros, but I think generally speaking, look, it might just be a societal thing, like English behaviour on holiday, particularly abroad in Europe. You know, we, we probably don't have a great reputation. You know, stag do's, hen do's, um, booze cruises, you know, Marbella, wherever you go, Mykonos, you know, we... we clearly like to have a good time and there's a, there is a lot of bad behaviour and that goes decades and decades back you know to Benidorm days or whatever it might be um, so, so I, maybe maybe that played a part um, maybe the idea that we are still football hooligans plays a part in how we're perceived as football fans um, but the fans didn't show up late so it's good to say you know I understand what you're saying about the Real Madrid fans being in place early but Liverpool fans went three hours before kickoff no but they, they were more choreographed in terms of how they cheered during the no, game? No, in what terms do you mean? of how they arrived, got in, were all in situ very early, all looking exactly the same. It was like they all arrived on the same boat or something. I don't know. Obviously, that's not true because they didn't need to go by water. But they, they, they just, you know, there was just something slightly sci-fi about did, how... Did they have to go through that? No, they're, they're, all their gates were different gates. Right. All the gate numbers, letters you've been hearing about, Z, Y, C, mm. so on, they, they were all for Liverpool. But would they have had to... Was it a different entrance instead well, of that I wonder. Underpass? I don't know. I wonder if they right. all came on their coaches and were given a special entry. I didn't see... I, but they were in far earlier than anyone else. So mm. I, wonder, I, I just wonder if they got there five hours early. You know what uh, I mean? I just yeah. wonder if it was just more organised from their point of view. Liverpool fans just turn up. And they should be allowed yeah. to turn up when you want to turn mm. up. And can I just say, on social media, you know, and in the comments under the piece I wrote, it's like, oh, oh, it's never your fault. Oh, it's, you know, funny, ha-ha, this has happened to Liverpool fans. There's this need to stigmatise yeah. Liverpool fans in some way. I didn't get too hurt or or worried because people I did not know were being really kind. Liverpool Liverpool fans are being really kind and and saying, no, she's being pushed, let her go forward. And okay, you may say that's sexist. It's not sexist because I was a bit smaller than anyone else. And they're just saying, she, you know, you could, they could see I was on my own and making sure I got through safely. People who had been queuing for hours let me go in front of them, pushed me in front of them because they didn't want me stuck in the melee. People are kind. People are thoughtful there was no nobody was drunk no one was behaving mm. badly everyone was thoughtful thinking about the people they were with there was I, I don't know where this stigma of it all being you know in some way deserved because the behavior is bad to begin with all all you could say is there was excitement and exuberance but people were there early and they were being kind to one another and I don't know the, the French the French police were just yeah, that was everything I uh, read and heard was 
total um, difference to last summer and the the Euros final. What I, I was saying about that is that it was whether that was in the mind. No, I know what you were yeah, yeah, saying. French yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think it was. I really do think it was. I think they went. You know, the, these guys have have poured into a big and maybe not even in the police's minds, but sort of pushed into it by UEFA, who of course had the issues at the Euros final was a huge embarrassment for them saw an English team in the final and thought we don't want the same thing to happen again and probably put that message across to the, the French police because you know all this stuff about you're not you're going to get fined 150 quid if you wear a football shirt down the Champs-Elysees was just ridiculous mm. to me like that, that was a couple of days before the game what, what sorry this is meant to be a free society in France don't they pride themselves on that you can't wear a football shirt down a shopping area mm. because Football fans are, you know, they don't want to fill in the blanks. But I think it's ridiculous. Look, there does has, have to be, though, this um, Liverpool have called for the independent review. And that, that has to happen because, of course, our conversation alone, we've thrown up probably more questions than answers, yeah. haven't we? We about... weren't going we to get to answers. No, no. but then there has to be. But, but everyone who'd been in Kiev said that that had been policed Beautifully, yeah. And I was there wasn't in Kiev. a single ounce of trouble. Yeah, but turnstiles that, 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 that was, were smooth. Yeah. People who had tickets got in. These, it looked like everything was built in 1948, right? And so they were scanning tickets, and it was just seemed very random whether it said it was you were allowed yeah, in or not. Yeah. Well, get, get your get your get your systems to work properly. Yeah. But I went to Madrid and I went to Kiev. I enjoy I enjoyed them both because. Um, unlike now, I could be a Manchester United fan in the middle of Liverpool fans having a drink. They're all singing "Si Senor" and enjoying themselves, and I couldn't do that now because too many people know I support Manchester United. Mm-hmm. But it was nice, and everyone behaved perfectly well. Um, but it was policed properly. Yeah, it was. I mean, in Kiev, it had issues for me, but not with when it came to football fans. And there's not um, an excuse. Is <laughs> I there? could go into the other details, but it was nothing to do with football. The way they policed non-football fans was a little bit too heavy-handed I think they would you know it was definitely roll the red carpet out for the football fans let's not have any sort of other trouble that makes you Ukraine look bad right um, but the football fans it was perfectly policed you know it was all about taking care of them but there wasn't an ex- there wasn't an excuse for this either because um, one of the comments that really stuck out to me was someone saying um, in Paul Joyce's report the next day was has the Stade de France not hosted an event before? There was was explanations were put out about, you know, well, they only had to, because of the change from St. Petersburg to Paris, they had a shorter amount of time to prepare. Three months. Exactly, three months. It's it's long enough, but it's also, it's a sporting arena. Yeah. It's hosted events before. Yeah. There's no excuse. I, I found it weird. As soon as I heard the pitch had been relayed, like three days before, I was like, whose decision was it to give it to them? If Apparently, they were having a massive concert last weekend, so they had to relay the pitch afterwards. And I was like, when you awarded it to the Stade de France, was there not a, was no one looking at the calendar to say, oh, they've got a concert the week before, it probably shouldn't be there? It was political. Macron wanted to look magnanimous and a world leader by saying, you know, football can come to us. Yeah. He, he yeah. didn't care whether it was going to be a good game or well policed or not. Well, yeah, clearly he didn't in the way that things played out. Um, Anyway, that was sort of one of the major sad points of the night. The other one being Liverpool beaten in the European Cup. But as Jurgen Klopp says, um, what was that famous saying from Stevie Gerrard in that that middle of the huddle? What was it, Alison? Do you remember it? We go 
again. That's it. Jurgen Klopp says we go again. We'll see if Liverpool uh, have the same sort of quality next season. Um, they will be joined in the Premier League next season, by the way, by Nottingham Forest. We'll discuss the championship playoff final next. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Nottingham Forest ended their 23-year wait for Premier League football with a narrow 1-0 win over Huddersfield Town in the Championship playoff final at Wembley. It's a game that they say is worth about £170 million for Forest and their owner are doing the sign of the cross several times just before the full-time whistle maybe underlined that. Promotion back to the top flight. Caps a brilliant turnaround in their season. It did start with six defeats in the opening seven games before Chris Hewton was sacked. Levi Colwell's own goal from James Garner's cross, the decisive moment in the game. Charlotte Dunker from the Times joins us. You were at Wembley, Charlotte? Yeah, I was, and what an occasion it was for those Nottingham Forest fans. They've been waiting a really long time to see their team get back in the Premier League, and there was tears at full time. Everyone was hugging each other. I think Steve Cooper was on the bench crying. It was just one of those occasions where you could really feel what it meant for those supporters, seeing seeing what the club have been through over the last 20 years or so, but they're finally back in the Premier League after 23 years without top-flight football. Yeah, what did you think of the game itself? Where was it won and lost for you? I mean, it wasn't a thriller, if we're being honest. I'm not sure that anyone's going to look back at that game and, and think, oh, wow, this was two amazing teams fighting it out. I think both teams have played better this season. Huddersfield didn't even manage a shot on target. And then Forest um, goal, sorry, as we saw, was an own goal. Uh, unfortunate for Levi Colwell, who's on loan from... Chelsea, but I thought it was a bit ner- they're a bit nervous at times, a bit edgy. But if you were honest, I think Cooper said he's seen them play better this season. Forest, but the main thing for them is that they got over the line. And then obviously there was the controversy in that uh, Huddersfield maybe feel a bit hard done to that they didn't get a couple of penalties in the game. 
What was the atmosphere like? These two clubs uh, filling Wembley Stadium. Steve Cooper, the Forest manager, saying the two-time European Cup winners are back where they belong, basically, in the top flight, in in the Premier League. Um, what did it feel like at the final whistle inside Wembley with the jubilation for those fans and commiserations for Huddersfield Town? Oh, it was brilliant. And I think even hours before kickoff, I got to Wembley probably about three and a half hours before the game kicked off. And you're walking down Wembley Way and it was just full of people in forest shirts. It was a sea of red even then. And that just continues throughout the whole game. Clearly, the fans are clearly up for it and they've been waiting for this moment for years. There was pictures of the fans as well waiting to get on the train at um, Forest train station earlier in the day. And there was queues down the road and I think they could have sold it genuinely. They could have sold their allocation about about three or four times. Everyone was just desperate to see it. So the atmosphere was brilliant from them. And I think there was a lot of relief as well. And you've got different generations of people who've supported Forest. And a lot of them won't have ever seen their team in the top flight. And then you've got older people who have seen them lift European trophies, but seen them go go down and, and, and not see victory for a while. So jubilation, lots of relief as well, I think. And especially as you mentioned before, if you look how they started the season and where they were when Steve Cooper took over back in September, I think many people would never have believed that they would have ended the season promoted back to the Premier League. So yeah, it's definitely a day they'll all remember. Charlotte, thank you for joining us. We're going to keep talking about this, but appreciate you being with us on the Game Podcast. Thank you. So, Steve Cooper getting Nottingham Forest back into the Premier League. A jubilant scenes, I've got to say. I went to the second leg against Sheffield United. They got lucky. Of course, they came through it in a penalty shootout. Um, I don't think they were very good against Huddersfield in this game. Huddersfield dominated large parts, particularly in the second half. There should have been at least one penalty for Huddersfield Town. I mean, we've got to say this. You've got to hold your hands up and say a couple of incidents at Toffolo being tripped by Colback, low on O'Brien and nudge in the back of the leg, which I think it probably would have been a foul. Now, there was a lot made about VAR being brought in just for the championship playoff final. I was amazed that the referee didn't go over to the screen to check at least one of those two incidents. But then maybe not too surprised when you check that Paul Tierney was on VAR, John Moss, the on-field referee in his final game. That is as poor a selection as could have been come up with, I think, for a match of, of this magnitude. I mean, even if you're going to put one of them on the game they both had pretty poor seasons officiating mm. I couldn't believe I, I honestly could not believe that they were both put onto this game uh, well it, <laughs> you, your beautiful segue from uh, from the Champions League final to the playoff final with Nottingham Forest joining Klopp and Liverpool in the Premier League of course John Moss won't be there and I, I, I'm always reluctant to have a go at referees because they are pretty voiceless. But this giving him the game feels a little bit like a lifetime achievement. Award, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> and and those should be, you know, he should be wearing a, a black dinner suit, not a, a refereeing outfit when you get one of those. Because if you're Huddersfield right now, wow, you're you're. Um, you're certainly not happy that's an understatement for for what happened there because and it's not John Moss's fault alone as far as well the whole point of it being there is yeah. to give him the support for instance like that but especially the Colback one I thought was it oh really I, I yeah. thought I thought the low on O'Brien one was more clear yeah 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 
I, th- I, th- I think they both were. Is the bottom <laughs> the bottom line? I think the thing, they both the thing about were. the thing about Toffolo's and the reason why I thought he probably didn't get it on the balance of VAR especially is he he sort of threw himself over the challenge. He almost leapt, and even though his shin was caught by Colback because he'd sort of leapt over him in many ways. To, to try and initiate the contact I know he left his right leg out there I thought well look I would have given a penalty but I can understand why VAR doesn't want to reward that sort of thing I'm sorry but low on O'Brien he just kicks the back of his leg he doesn't touch the ball I mean it's so abundantly obvious that he doesn't get to the ball anywhere else on the pitch it's a foul it's just a, it's just an uh, um, I guess a bit of a sloppy challenge it doesn't really mean anything by it, but it's a free kick. So it just what happens you to have, be in the penalty So what ball. you have is a VAR official thinking, oh, we don't want Johnny Moss's last game to be one where he's clearly made a mistake and had to be helped out by VAR late in the game. You know, it would have changed everything. It's like, oh, we'll stick, we'll stick, we'll stick with Johnny Moss. We'll stick, Johnny we'll, stick, Moss. we'll stick with Johnny Moss's first view. And it's, that's wrong. And also there's an inconsistency there. I thought the... Um, the policy was to give the retiring referees low, relatively low-key matches mm. for their last stint be- because of this, because it's too emotive. You do- referees shouldn't have any emotion or status or, you know, career-ending moment linked to a match of such magnitude. Mm. So you can't, you can't have these nuances of the relationship between the VR official and the on-field referee. Um, that shouldn't be in their heads you know we, or we don't want Moss to go out in this way and that, and that does seem like there was a sense of let's keep it as uncontroversial as possible well I do I just I, I you know it's interesting you say that I genuinely think that almost runs through a lot of the decisions made from the PGMOL I mean it is a lot of sort of defending you know that we're in a group together people don't back us up in the public we if no one's you know if you don't if you don't love yourself who's going to love you you know it's a bit like that you know we have I think to... that is written above the door <laughs> when you go into the um, no but you know what I mean it's just like they support themselves they really do they stand by decisions that we all know are wrong um, just because they don't want to say to one another that you were wrong because it leaves them exposed massively. So they just, you know, it's very insular. And I don't, I don't like that. I, I really don't like that. There were, there were mistakes. I mean, the TV pundits actually underlined that for one of them, there were three players in the eye, in the, um, in the eye line of John Moss. He couldn't actually see the challenge. I could not believe that he didn't check it on VAR. There was also a drinks break straight after it. It was like, well, you might as well, you yeah. might as well just run over and check VAR. <laughs> it's not actually stopping the game. They've gone off for a drink. So someone's in, I think Bryce Samba was injured at that point. It was like, well, you might as well just check it now. I mean, all the players are off in the t- dugouts having a chat with the coaches. I couldn't, I, I mean, look, I, I, say, I keep saying I couldn't believe it. I could believe it because it keeps happening. I just, I, I honestly, when I saw those two names, I, I thought, what are they doing? Yeah, I, I feel... It's like they're doubling down on them having a terrible season. Both of them had a terrible season. So it's like, oh, well, we'll put them on the playoff final. We'll show everyone how great they are. As a, oh, oh, okay. They're actually, they are as terrible as they've been all year. Does anyone think that the playoff final should only be officiated by referees who've officiated the championship all season. I've, no. al- I've always felt that. No, I think no, I think it should be the best available referee. No, well, clearly it wasn't the best available no, referee. No, I didn't say it should be John Moss, but I don't think it should be necessarily an No, EFL I think it ref- should be the best available referee who's done a lot of the championship. No, do you watch a lot of the championship? Because some of the officials, I mean, most of the officials there, they're not great. Like, you wouldn't want them refereeing Premier League matches every week. That's why they're in the EFL. So you think it should have been no, but Michael Oliver? No, somewhere on the way up. 
I, I, I do. Do you know what? I immediately yeah. thought, why hasn't Michael Oliver been given this game? Uh, did he get the FA Cup final? I think he might have, and that's why. But I just I hate that stuff as well. Mm. You know, I, like I understand right, Anthony Taylor get the though. FA Cup final, but it should have been one of them. Should have been Anthony Taylor or no, Michael. It should have been the best of I, I the season in the championship. Because, because you know the because you know the players. It's you know, very, we forget this. It's very important. Ref, mm. A good referee wants to go. know wants to know the players. Yeah, wants to know the style of play, the pace of play, the pattern of play, the vibe, the whole thing. And it should be consistent with the way it's been refereed all season. Even if you accept they're not as good. Okay, I'll, I don't know if it's true, but let's accept that they'll be of a, a, a less quality than the Premier League referees. But the players are of a less quality than the Premier League players. Have have people who get the ebb and flow of Championship football, which is slightly different, and they know they know what happens, and then everyone right. everyone can relax. So if two Championship teams get to the FA Cup final championship referee for you no why because, not no because the referee will have will but it's two have, championship no no because teams. that's cup football and that's part of the wow factor that is what makes it <laughs> that's what makes cup, fo- cup football slightly bonkers because you could get you know you could get league two versus premier league couldn't you to be fair if, if you, when you watch this game the referee actually doesn't have a huge job because the last 20 minutes he basically just needs to watch the clock and work out how long was added on because it was it was it was awful those last 20 minutes i mean I, I i get it these games are never great spectacles because there's so much riding on it and to be honest as well um the refereeing decisions were central to the story of this game but also I mean Forrester I was pleased Forrest went up personally because I think they will be a brilliant addition to the Premier League and it's just an incredible story isn't it I mean they had their worst start to a season in 108 years and go up to the Premier League where it's just yeah. it doesn't happen at yeah, other places but I, I think that big club bias worked in Nottingham Forest's favour I know it's two championship teams and it's the championship playoff but one of them is the two time European Cup winners Nottingham Forest who I also think the fact that they've been out of the Premier League for 20 23 years played a part and a lot of people have obviously seen Huddersfield in the last couple of years when they were relegated they weren't a great side in the Premier League they were, well, that's an understatement so I think a lot of people were keen to see Nottingham Forest come up and I think that played a part in the officials decisions I do I think the big club bias that we talk about at Manchester United and Liverpool and, and it played a part for Nottingham Forest in this game there should have been at least one I mean the fact that neither of those two were given as penalties I, I have to say I'm shocked and again because I like you I'm keen to see Nottingham Forest I've been to City Ground a few times this season back in the Premier League because it's a great atmosphere and they, they as a club a big club with a big fan base um, bring something to the Premier League none of that should matter especially to the referee should have been a penalty and, and it should have been just the way the cookie crumbles for Nottingham Forest stay tuned next week for our special guest John Moss who will be joining us <laughs> I want to ask Tom Roddy a question because we were both at the LMA dinner and when Marco Silva was announced as the championship manager of the season, which isn't controversial because Fulham won playing in style and there were lots of nice stories from Fulham. He was under pressure to get automatic promotion. But the room was full of love for Steve Cooper and the fairy tale story of what he's done at Forest. And I think even though some of the people there would have voted themselves, a lot of people were there who hadn't voted, there was a, almost no applause for Marco Silva. I, I honestly felt that the world wants Steve Cooper to be in the Premier League because of this astonishing way that he's got this team 
back, you know, just grown from being in crisis. But I, did you? I just wondered if you picked that up. I that did. Yeah. It was so quiet when Marco Silva no, spoke. No, I did. I did, and and it's funny, isn't it? Because um, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on what it is with Marco Silva. Maybe it's the the relationship with other clubs that he's had, how he left other clubs. But he's not the most popular manager with some fans is he whereas Steve Cooper he's got, I suppose it's the way he presents himself he's he's very he's very relatable Steve Cooper isn't he he's very um for for fans he's very relatable every man he's just you he's, know yeah and and I think that that's why people buy into him I mean he wasn't he'd been in the playoffs the last 2 years with Swansea He's progressed through his career, but he was just so desperate yesterday not to have the focus being on him. And yet, really, I think it is all about yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> and it should be all about him. And the, the funny thing is, you know, Forrest, sometimes you get these situations with clubs that go up and they've had lone players and you think, oh, how are they going to replace them? I mean, they've got um, James Garner, who are, he's Jim, known as Jimmy Garner now, isn't he? Yeah, Jimmy yeah, yeah. Garner. Um, Johnny Moss and Jimmy Garner. Um, <laughs> from Manchester United on from loan. From Manchester United. Jed Keenan, Spence. Jed Spence, Middlesbrough. Keenan Davis uh, from Villa. And but the thing is with Steve Cooper is if if you were a young player and he's got the history with having managed England under 17s to win the World Cup, he's got the history with those young players. Um, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if you had Levi Colwell end up there next year. But he's got the history with these young players. You can see why they would want to play for him and they do want to play for him. So whether those players end up remaining at the club or not that's going to be an attractive yeah. prospect for many players. I, th I think they'll do well next yeah. year. Yeah, if you're a top player and a uh, top club and you want to loan one of your young players, given his um, reputation with coaching young players and winning the World Cup with England under-17s, what he's done at Nottingham Forest and elsewhere. You remember he had Mark Gurhey <laughs> at Swansea last season yeah, as and well. Conor Gallagher. Conor Gallagher too, yeah. Bringing on um, young players. I think that's the place that you'd want to want to loan one of your youngsters. So, um, yeah, commiserations to Carlos Corberan, who I think is a good coach. Had a great season. Huddersfield 20th last year. They got to the playoff final this year. That was an incredible turnaround. He said afterwards he couldn't fault his players players and I agree couldn't fault them uh, on the afternoon I think they had a great structure great organisation stifled um, Nottingham Forest as much as they could neither side created really clear goal scoring opportunities a slice of luck off the shin of Levi Colwell puts Nottingham Forest in the Premier League we'll see what they do for us next season uh, as a club let's be honest we've all used on Football Manager to try and get back to the top flight and to those European glories we'll see if Steve Cooper can do it in real life as well uh, Alison Rudd Tom Roddy thank you for being with me thank you all for listening loads of international football we're going to be discussing on the next episode you might get our end of season awards then or next Monday but they are on the way promise all in the works uh, in the meantime make sure you're subscribed you can check out the Times and the Sunday Times at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and we will see you on Thursday. The train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.